You're listening to the Gratefully Nourished Podcast, a podcast about healing your relationship with food and body image with Jesus at the center. I'm your host and registered dietitian, Alyssa Pike. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Gratefully Nourished Podcast. Today, I'm talking with Cassandra Baker, who knows what it's like to have a love-hate relationship with food in her body and her own personal experience and recovery from eating disorders really drives her passion to now encourage women to find their own freedom. Cassandra is a certified health, life, and mental health coach and public speaker, and she helps women who are trapped in unhealthy habits such as perfectionism, disordered eating, legalism, and people-pleasing so they can live free in Christ. Cassandra, I am so excited to be talking to you this morning. Alyssa, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, great to be here today. Awesome. I am really excited to just dive into our conversation. So could you tell me a little bit about yourself? Like, What is your story? How did you get to where you are right now and what you're doing to help women live free in Christ? Yes, I'd love to share my story and where God's brought me from, because to me, it's uh, nothing short of a miracle. Growing up, from the outside looking in, my life looked pretty great. On the outside, I had a great, I grew up in a Christian family who loved me, uh, did well in school, had friends. But underneath, there were several different factors coming together to create a perfect storm. So probably in uh, middle school, I started struggling with depression and anxiety. And shortly after around that time, also started dieting. I also have a, a highly sensitive personality. I feel deeply um, and strongly. And I was, of course, also growing up in a culture, excuse me, that said in order to be somebody, in order to be beautiful and lovable, you have to look a certain way. And so all those factors came together and led to ultimately two eating disorders. The first one, binge eating disorder, started shortly after I started dieting, which is often the case. And Mm -hmm. then in my early, no, my mid to late 20s, I developed orthorexia which is an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating. And so mm-hmm. I battle who I called Ed and the gang. So Ed stands for the eating disorders, of course, and the gang represent the perfectionism, people pleasing, all those isms. And so to say that my life was difficult just feels like such an understatement. And I'm a visual person. So <laughs> I want to give you a picture to kind of describe what life was like living with Ed and the gang. So imagine me laying on the ground. I'm about five, three, pretty short. And I have this hundred ton rock on top of me. Okay. So there's no space because it's so big between the rock, the rock and the ground. There's no light that come through, no oxygen. So it was very crushing, paralyzing. Um, everything in my life was affected by Ed and the gang. And so in 2011, my recovery journey actually started by participating in a healing care Bible study. And at around that time, I also started going to counseling and God started working on the underlying root wounds in my life and was able for the first time to kind of see the reason why I was struggling because 
even to myself, so much of my life looked like I should be fine. I didn't understand why sometimes I didn't, you know, mm-hmm. get out of bed. And so, so the Lord definitely did a work uh, during that time. But it was also during that time that I developed the orthorexia. And, you know, I started, uh, it, I wasn't on a diet. I was just quote unquote eating healthy mm-hmm. and started losing weight that I never lost before. Uh, And then the praise started coming in, of course, and it eventually morphed into extreme clean eating, which, um, you know, involved hours and hours of food prep on the weekends. I, of course, couldn't bring my food or I had to bring my food to events rather than eat what was there because I was very rigid um, and strict on what I was allowed to eat. So while what I was eating was healthy my obsession with it and how it took over my life and my thought life around food um, Mm -hmm. was a full-blown eating disorder. And so um, in July of 2014, eight years ago, um, I experienced the first of four traumatic brain injuries. And the first one was the most severe. And so in one moment, um, the Lord uh, in, in many ways um, allowed for this accident, which was has been difficult, has forever changed my life. But in many ways, it was a great mercy because what it did was take away my ability to do those behaviors. It was no longer a choice of like, am I going to like, oh, I have to cook these all these meals, you know, and I have to do the obsessive mm-hmm. exercising. My body could no longer do those things. Getting out of bed and going to work were a big enough obstacle, and so. In many ways, then because of that, all of a sudden, I was like, maybe I'm not doing okay. Because you, you see, I had lost weight. I had gotten into the small body, smaller body that I said, oh, if I get there, I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. I'll be healthy and I'll be free. But when I couldn't do the behaviors anymore and I started having all this emotional upheaval and angst because of it, mm-hmm. it was very clear that maybe I wasn't as free as what I had really thought. and so. I finally um, was able to admit that maybe I needed some help. And so that's when I got diagnosed. Um, I had, I got a multidisciplinary team to basically what they did was come around me, the dietitian, my counselor, family doctor, my family, and they started chipping away at the rock. You see, there was no way that I was going to be able to get out from underneath it on my own. But my shame said I couldn't tell anyone. Mm. And so for so many years, I tried so hard with so many diets and restriction and, you know, the eating disorders to try to get my, my body under control. And it only added onto that hundred ton rock. And so it was a very long process. It probably took about seven years um, between when I started in 2011, doing that inner healing work. And then in 2015, when I started doing the eating disorder work that, um, slowly and very surely the rock started to to come off. And as it started to come off, the Lord gave me a picture that um, all of a sudden it was like I was getting oxygen and light. And I never gave up my faith during that time. I accepted the Lord at a young age, but there were so many nights and days where I felt like I, I, I believe in you, but it does not, you do not feel real. And if feels like you've abandoned me. Mm. But but as the light came in and I opened up my eyes for the first time, 
the, uh, Jesus showed me that he was actually face to face with me. He was crushed with me between um, the rock and and me. And I really believe that that's the reason why I just never gave up. That even time after time trying different things, it didn't work, that I kept pushing forward. And so, um, and why I, you know, at times didn't even want to live, why I chose to um, to never give up. And so I'm, I'm very grateful. And then as I went through recovery and I was starting to live in my own freedom, then the Lord uh, called me into doing the work that I'm doing. And so I started Authenticity and Grace, where my mission, you know, is to help women live free. And now I get to be a vessel where I come uh, around other women and help them chip away at their hundred ton rock, whatever ton rock they have on top of Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for sharing. That is such a powerful story. And I think what is so helpful for other people is what you're, what you're saying about Jesus being right there in that rock with you, because I think, you know, it, it's hard. It's so hard to reconcile when these like on the surface, you know, horrible things are happening. We, we have a hard time reconciling that God would either allow this to happen or, or however we want to make sense of it. But I think it's such a beautiful picture to just know that God is our help. Like God is the one sustaining us through when it feels like everything else is kind of crushing us around us. And so I'm curious, I mean, you did share (laughs) a little bit, but I'm curious how you got to that place of just really feeling the love of God with you in, in your moments of, of your greatest need. So that came through learning about the, um, what's called formational prayer, actually. So many of us today, we know in our heads that Jesus loves us, but we don't know in our hearts. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a, a truth that we know in our head, but not a truth from a lived experience. And um, this healing care group, uh, formational prayer, is really about engaging um, Jesus through prayer on a heart level where we can experience his love and not just know about it. And I actually have something towards the end of uh, this podcast to be able to kind of share how we can, to a certain extent, experience the love of Jesus and not and not know about it. Okay. Okay. Lovely. So I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> no, that's that's great. I'm excited to hear more. So let's go back to the story, your eating disorder recovery. How would you say life is different after eating disorder recovery and all that comes with it? Yeah. So I would say that life before was living like in life in black and white, and now life is in color. So everything is more vibrant. I can be more fully present. You know, I thought freedom would look like me being in a small body and having, um, you know, and, and meeting what this current cultural standard says that health looks like. But the reality of what recovery and freedom looks like for me is dr- is drastically different. But um, I don't think about food like I used to when I'm hungry. You know, I can 
if I start thinking about food now, I usually it means that I'm hungry rather than I just ate breakfast and now I have to start thinking about what I can and can't have for lunch. You know, so I have space in between my meals to, to mm-hmm. life. I can enjoy all foods. You know, before there were certain food uh, types that were totally eliminated from. And so here I thought that I was superior and had a bunch of pride actually about, oh, I don't eat any of blank food. So that makes me better, which is just full of pride. But I couldn't just have one bite and be okay. Right. So to, to an extent, I wasn't, I wasn't in control at all because I, it was either all or nothing. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, a picture of this now looks like um, the other day I had, I decided that I wanted some chocolate after dinner. And so I took two Dove chocolates and I sat down and was just really savoring the one and realized that I felt very content and satisfied afterwards with just the one. And I went and put the other one back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And uh, but before it would have been, I would have not been supposed to have been having any chocolate and then would have ended up probably eating many um, and just the one and being able to put the other back. So that to me is nothing short of a miracle. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think it's so true. I I like the, the picture of going from black and white to living in color because there's just, there's so, it's so, so hard to participate in life when we have, we feel crushed by this, this rock or this weight that you're kind of using as that imagery. So I think that's wonderful. And I think it's, it's always encouraging to hear people's stories once they've kind of made it to the other side. Um, not that recovery is, is linear by any means, but I do think it's really helpful. So one question that I think comes up a lot, of course, when we're talking about the recovery process is weight gain. And so how would you encourage someone or kind of help someone deal with the weight gain or not losing weight after you start healing your relationship with food, potentially through something like intuitive eating? Yeah. So I do share that, you know, my recovery did mean weight gain for me, for me to be in that smaller body. It ended up taking, I I would have to continue using the eating disorder to be in that smaller body. Um, But I, I do say, and, and believe very much that um, losing Ed and diet culture was worth every pound I gained in my physical body because life is so much better free from Ed Mm -hmm. under him in a smaller body. And Obviously, I had a hundred ton rock on me. I mean, to lose that is way more weight than I actually gained on my body. So I lost a lot more than I actually right physically <laughs> gained. Um, but that is a huge uh, part of the journey that often can be difficult, not only for myself, with a lot of the women that I work with. Um, it's the same thing too, and it's multifaceted. It's it can be complex. It's there's no simple answer for me to give, but I do want to bring out two key parts that I think are important to look at as part of addressing and being able to kind of work through that as you're on your journey. So the two key parts would be idols, and then the second is looking at big and little t trauma. So 
Growing up, I heard a lot of cliche uh, answers, pat answers of like, oh, God loves you just the way that you are. Um, you know, we're each unique and our beauty is in that. And there's truth in that. I'm not saying that we th- that is true, but those pat answers didn't reach my heart. They were all head knowledge and they didn't change the way that I actually lived my life or how I, what I thought about myself. And so I, because diet culture and those around me, what they were saying in regards to thinness and beauty was, was so much louder. And I really believed that in order to be loved and to be somebody, I had to be thin. And because also I think we hear in the church too, oh, if you're not thin, then you're not healthy. And if you're not healthy, yeah. then you're not godly. Mm-hmm. And that uh, heaps a whole bunch of shame on us. Um, because I don't, I have yet to read in the Bible where it says in order to be godly and healthy, you have to be a blank size. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think the Bible is clear that we are, our bodies are living temples and it matters how we care for our bodies. And so I think how we eat and how we move and how we care for our bodies does matter to God. But what diet culture says is that it's the ultimate and that we have to go to extreme measures to do it. And the other thing um, that was very freeing is when I read in the Bible, I think it's Psalms 104, where it talks about how God created big, large, and small animals in the ocean. And so when I read that, I started thinking about creation and what I saw all around me. And when I walk in a forest, I see trees of all different sizes. And I don't go up to the one tree and be like, you know, you're really fat and really ugly. No, it's just Mm -hmm. a tree that's larger. It's just the way it is. Like some trees are tall and some are short. And so that really helped to allow me to see that we have a creator who loves uniqueness and our society says that we all should be in this very narrow, small mold of a body. Right. And so that helped me to, that shifted my perspective and my belief about what beauty is. And then Timothy Keller, who's a, an idol expert, says that an idol, it's anything more important to you than God. So anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. And so he says one of the best ways to kind of find out um, what your idol is, is to ask yourself, what if you lost it tomorrow would make you not want to keep living? Hmm. And so for me, that was very much my body. Like if I couldn't be in a small body, then life wasn't worth living to a certain extent, or I couldn't be joyful and happy about life. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, I was worshiping what I call the beauty idol. And so I define that as when we worship the current cultural definition of beauty above God, when we go to unhealthy lengths to fit the standard or choose not to do something like a trip, job, or exercise because of how we look, when we find our identity in how we look rather than who we are in Christ, and also when we think less of someone who doesn't meet the cultural beauty standards, and so it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Just need yeah. to need to have a moment for that because that's really good. But but continue. <laughs> yes. 
So I just was very guilty of daily getting up and, and living my life to to bow down and to worship that. And so, um, you know, I really believe to a certain extent that beauty idol definition, we see it a lot in the church. And that really breaks my heart um, because I, I think anything that we add on to the gospel um you know, is dangerous. And I think oftentimes when we're saying in order to be godly, you, your body has to be a certain size. That's really heartbreaking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because every person's body is different. And as we go through different things in our lives, like my traumatic brain injuries, they rewired my brain and changed how my brain communicates to my body in order to tell me I'm hungry. And so when we go through injury and things like that, our body can even change in regards to that. Um, so looking at the idol and recognizing, like, am I putting this above God? Am I going to unhealthy links? I was going to an eating disorder in order to, to do that. And I don't believe the Lord is asking any of us to use an eating disorder or disordered eating in order to care for our bodies. Mm, That's good. Yeah. And then the talking about big and little t trauma. So this was something that um, I really enjoyed learning about. And big t trauma is oftentimes what we think about in regards to like a soldier going to war and having issues afterwards, um, a major accident, a natural disaster, the loss, you know, the loss of a, a close loved one. And of course, I grew up knowing about that. But when I learned about little t trauma, it really changed things because in my childhood, I didn't really couldn't think of any like big t traumas. But when I learned about little t trauma, I was able to realize, oh, I have quite a bit of little t trauma. So uh, imagine a paper cut. You get it once. It's uh, it hurts. But it's not going to stop your whole day, right? You're going to put a, a Band-Aid on it or wipe away the blood and if there is any and then just keep moving on. But if you have a thousand paper cuts and don't um, attend to them, that's going to cause problems and you're going to eventually end up in um, in the emergency room, right? Probably because of infection kind of thing. And so oftentimes what happens is many of us um, growing up have experienced little t trauma in many different ways, but especially in regards to our bodies. And so, you know, I had people in my life who verbally, uh, said abusive things in regards to my body, or I've had people too, who weren't making a comment about my body, but they were body shaming someone else. And if my body was larger than the person that they were body shaming, right. Indirectly, they were body shaming me too. And so I think one of the challenges um, as we go about having a healthy relationship with food, that if there is weight gain, what that can often do is it can trigger the little T traumas in our lives that haven't been healed. Because if we've been in a smaller body and experienced the praise and all that goes with that. And then we are going through healing and then our body is getting, um, gaining weight. Mm -hmm. Our body will remember things that we don't even are, aren't even conscious of. And so oftentimes our body can be feeling that and it's coming up. So it's not like oftentimes we're maybe uncomfortable, but we're uncomfortable because of what our little T trauma says. 
right. what the trauma says about it. And so I think that that's an important part of addressing the healing journey is being able to really recognize and know um, but then also to actually process and being able to heal from those as well. And so in that case, then we can um, be in our bodies and not be feeling constantly triggered. Mm, that is so good. I feel like, you know, eating disorders are so much about identity. And so to your point, you know, having the self-awareness and the ability to go through and understand what's been informing that identity, whether it's this idol, whether it's culture, whether it's this little T trauma, all of that is so important. And it's so hard. It's really hard to to sift through and heal from and understand. And so I, I just think what you're saying is so powerful. And I know I just want to encourage those who are listening who are sort of in that spot and feeling like, okay, I hear you, but it is hard. And I just want to be like, yes, it is. It totally is. And it takes time. And I think at some point earlier when we were talking, you mentioned kind of taking seven years to heal, which again is also really normal. They say it takes five to seven years Mm -hmm. to really heal from eating disorders. So I just want people to know that if it sounds like this is a lot, like it is, but it takes time and and it is possible. So I just appreciate what you're sharing. Um, But I guess where we could transition now is talking more specifically about identity because that is kind of the crux of recovery, I think. Um, So how, how does, or maybe why is having a biblical approach to identity formation so important and so integral when it comes to healing our body image? Yes. So looking at a cultural identity formation versus a biblical identity formation is helpful. Our culture today says that our identity is formed by us going out and deciding who we want to be and then going to become that person. This can be seen in so many different places, but two examples that that pop into my mind always right away is This Is Me from The Greatest Showman, right? Or Let It Go from Frozen. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. I determine who I'm going to be and then become it. Mm-hmm. But what happens then when we say, oh, I want to become this thin person who is a professional athlete and do all this stuff. So what happens then if we do everything within our power and then still can't go out and achieve it? And what happens is it oftentimes puts us on this pendulum swing because we can be either puffed up, meaning, um, you know, I think about myself an example, going through the grocery line at the checkout during my clean eating phase and thinking to myself, you know, look at all this clean food, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So puffed up. So, but ultimately I'm puffed up because I'm thinking I'm better than other people. Mm-hmm. Or uh, especially during the binge eating disorder phase where it was like deflated, where there's this self-hatred and self-loathing, like I am scum of the earth, right? Like- yeah. I don't deserve to live and all this thing. And so it just puts us on the swing, either like we're puffed up or we're deflated. But ultimately, um, 
what we're doing is we're focusing on ourselves and resting on something that's insecure and that's something that won't change. Because if your identity is being a professional athlete, then what happens when you can no longer be a professional athlete, even if you do attain Mm -hmm. it? Right. And so this is why a biblical identity formation is so freeing. And I should say that Timothy Keller, his book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, is the book that I, I need to give credit all to all this. He's the one that taught me this and that has, it's been so life-changing. So he talks about uh, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 5. And I just would like to read that passage. It says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. So Paul says, it doesn't matter what you think about me, which is often line, lines up with what our culture says, right? It doesn't matter what you think about me. This is me. Right. <laughs> um, but Paul goes a step further and says, it actually doesn't matter what I think about myself. So mm-hmm. my own opinion of Cassandra, when I look in the mirror, doesn't actually give me my, my identity. So what matters is what God says about me. And he says, he's my child. So my identity is child of God, but my uniqueness is where my different personality traits and characteristics, that all comes in. So, but my uniqueness is not my identity. My identity is solely found, when solely founded on what Jesus says about me, that will be firm. I won't swing back and forth. It won't shake. It will be firm because what Jesus says about me. And so what Timothy Keller is saying is a biblical identity formation is I don't think more of myself or less of myself. I just actually think about myself less. And so this is where like the freedom comes in is that I just actually don't think about my body. Like how many times today have you thought about your big toe? (laughs) probably not at all unless you banged it against something right and so i really believe that first corinthians 4 3 through 5 is the biblical support for what um body neutrality that you know my goal is not to go out and, and to like say my body like i absolutely love my body it's exactly the way i want it to be it's great it's positive i mean i just don't want to be thinking more or less about my my body But if my body is telling me that I'm hungry, well, then I'm going to take care of it. If my body is telling me that, like, I fell and hurt my arm, I'm going to go take care of it. But before everything was focusing, um, like, this hypervigilance and attention on the size of my body. Yeah. And um, using an eating disorder and to do that. And so body neutrality has been so freeing um, because... I don't have to disconnect myself from my body anymore, right? Mm -hmm. I can listen to my body. My body is part of who I am, um, but it also is not before it was everything. Right. Um, And so it's just been um, life-changing, but I highly recommend the freedom of self-forgetfulness for everyone. Yeah, it sounds really good. I am familiar with Tim Keller's work, um, but I haven't read that. So I'm going to try to put that in the show notes. 
But I really, that verse is so powerful, especially because we, and again, I'm not an expert in the history of how we, (laughs) how we got here as a culture, but it does make me think a lot about just our culture of like Mm self-esteem and how we're constantly like needing to feel good about ourselves. And of course, like there's a dimension of that that is helpful, but to your point, it just goes too far. And I think if we are going to be reflecting on what the Bible really says about identity and, and how we view ourselves, then it's clear that actually the goal isn't for us to feel wonderful all the time. It's it's actually to understand that our stability and our security comes from the Lord. Um, and, and because of that, we don't actually have to think about ourselves quite so much. We don't have to have this this perfect, um, loving view of our bodies all the time. That's not necessarily what freedom looks like. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So, okay. I think we're finally back to my, my question from earlier. So going back to kind of your experience with recovery and feeling like you really could experience the love of God while you were in your darkest moments, why is it important for us to not just know the love of God and know about the gospel, but to experience it? And and how does that really translate to healing from food and body image struggles? Yeah, so um, I have a letter that I wrote out uh, from Jesus to me. And uh, when I'm really struggling with laying down my body size – or if I'm struggling with just the, how my body is feeling at the current size that it is, uh, going back to the gospel helps me to what I do is I, I, I move the beauty idol from above the gospel to, to my body below the gospel in the sense of like, yes, my body does matter, but when I worship it more than God, then it, so it helps me reorder my love. Mm-hmm. And then what it also does in this experience is um, to, to use our senses to help us to be able to experience the truth about what Jesus did on the cross. Um, because we know Jesus died on the cross, but when we actually like can imagine it and use our imagination of what it really cost him, that experiencing things rewires the brain. A concept does not rewire the brain, according to Daniel Siegel. Siegel. And so this letter uh, from, from Jesus to me is an experiential prayer where I can continually read it to experience the reality of what Jesus did for me, which then ultimately on a biological level, Jesus used to rewire my brain. Mm, that is so good. So you wrote yourself a letter from Jesus to yourself. Could you tell me a little bit more about maybe what was included just in case someone else wants to kind of do this for themselves too? Yeah. So I was actually just going to read it if that's okay. Sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So I'm going to personalize it for myself, but of course everyone can personalize it for themselves. So, okay. Cassandra. I know it's not easy living in a world where you are constantly bombarded with messages that you are not enough, but you are unique and one of a kind. And I didn't create you to fit the world's beauty standards. Only when you live in the truth that you are my daughter, will you be free. When I was in the garden of Gethsemane, 
I was deeply distressed because I knew what was ahead of me. And I asked the father if there'd be any other way for you to be saved and to not have to go through the cross. But the only way for you to spend eternity with me in heaven was for me to be tortured, crucified, and to pay the price of your sin, including your love of the beauty idol. So I agreed to lay down my life because I love you so very much. And Cassandra, as I was being beaten, whipped, spit on, abused, tortured, and carrying to the cross to where I would die, I was thinking of you. I must do the will of my father to save my precious daughter because having her with me is worth all this pain and suffering. And as I suffered for hours, I thought of you. My love for you, Cassandra, kept me on the cross. And I died and rose again so we can spend eternity together. And because of this, you are free from sin and no longer a slave to what others think of you and conforming to this world's beauty standards. That is so good. <laughs> I may have shed a tear or two. <laughs> um, I think that's so powerful. And I think it's so helpful, you know, to your point to, to imagine, like take the time to truly imagine what that must have been like. Because we do hear a lot about concepts. You know, we hear a lot about what Jesus says about us, but it's so different when you can experience it. And so I would highly encourage people to go back and to just listen to that again and, and really just imagine, like, like imagine the face of Jesus, you know, as he's talking this through and, and as he's going through, um, his crucifixion and, and resurrection. And so, I just think that's really wonderful. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. This was really, really enjoyable and just informative, and I think it's going to bless so many. Um, before we wrap up, could you tell us a little bit about where we can find you? And you also have a few strategy sessions to offer to some of our listeners. I would uh, love to be able to offer three of your listeners um, a 60-minute complimentary breaking free strategy session. And so the first three listeners who email me at info at CassandraBaker.com, I would be happy to gift those. And then you can find me online at CassandraBaker.com. And I do spell Cassandra with a K. And so I also have a resource list on my webpage where I have several of the books that I referenced today in regards to like what I've learned to be able to apply and other podcasts and resources uh, that I just highly recommend and have been helpful primarily on my own journey. So I share them for others. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time and we'll see you all next time. Thank you.